HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm excited to announce a special series of episodes that highlight individuals that are both involved in agriculture and identify as part of the LGBTQIA community. In this series of three episodes, we meet an agriculture educator in Michigan, flower farmers in Iowa, and a fifth generation dairy grain and beef farmer in North Dakota. Agriculture is becoming increasingly more inclusive thanks to the leadership of people like our guests. For the third and final episode in this series, I'm joined by Forrest Glies, Fair Food Matters Program Manager at the Kalamazoo Nature Center in Michigan. Forrest, thank you for being with us on Eat Your Heartland Out. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, and yeah. I think you have a really compelling um, story uh, about, you know, your um, role in agriculture and agriculture education. But before we mm-hmm. get into all of that, um, I want to first um, talk to you a little bit about your roots in Michigan and yeah. what, you know, kind of what brought you back there. Yeah. So I am from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I grew up in Portage, which is the city right to the south of Kalamazoo. Um I know a lot of people know Kalamazoo because it's where Bell's Brewing is. Um, uh-huh. And we've got little stickers at the airport that say, yes, there really is a Kalamazoo. Um, <laughs> it's a neat town. Um, and I'm happy to be back. I was living in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years working in kind of funding for basic needs access. So I was mm-hmm. originally working in housing. Um, I did some work with Migration and Refugee Services I was doing some work uh, at a food access org and got really excited about agriculture and food systems. And I guess what brought me back is that, um, like I think a lot of Midwesterners, my family is here and I like having them around. Um, But also DC is a real expensive city to live in if you don't have a job. So um, coming back, 
yeah, like c- coming back to my hometown, I think was nice both for my savings account uh, and also for my heart. Um, it's been really nice to get to see my family, um, especially since the last time I saw them was pre-pandemic before I moved back. Mm. But I, I've been having a really fun couple of months now, uh, kind of reacclimating myself to Southwest Michigan, both um, like what's going on in this city and what's going on in this region. Um, and also honestly, just like enjoying a less swampy summer. Like oh, it's gosh, humid. Yeah. It's humid, but it's a lot less utterly miserable. <laughs> yes. No, I, I have spent umpteen numbers in DC throughout my mm-hmm. life and I, I know the swamp um, and swamp in the summertime is no fun. Murky, muggy. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, so, you know, I I definitely get, you know, because I guess I, I come from a government background, a social service mm-hmm. background. I'm very interested in yeah. all things food, food systems, food sovereignty, you know, culinary history, you yeah. know, all of that. But it may not be as obvious um, to sort of the outside world how and why someone might decide to go from, you know, desk job in DC to, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. fine, you know, pandemic, you know, the economy, whatever, back to Kalamazoo. But why, why food systems? Why ag, ag education? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it's not all, it's obvious. It makes sense <laughs> to me. It might not make sense to, to others. No, I, I hear that. Um, I, I think I had mentioned to you um, when we first talked that um, one of the things that I consider myself is kind of the nerd child of jock parents. (laughs) Um, My parents both are very outdoorsy type folks. They're athletic. Um, You know, my I was raised with a bunch of raised beds in the garden in the backyard. Um, And the entire time that I was a kid, I was like, this is gross. I am getting dirty. I want to sit inside in the air conditioning and read my books. Um, and I then kind of pursued that further and got jobs where I was sitting indoors and writing. Um, and I really enjoy telling stories and explaining concepts and doing Mm -hmm. that kind of analysis and synthesis of information to then show and bring to a new group of people. Um, my mom was an elementary school teacher for almost 40 years Um, my grandparents, her parents both taught at Western Michigan university. Mm. So I have a lot of like educators in my life. Um, and my, my interest in teaching was never like, oh, I want to like have a public school classroom where I'm in charge of 30 second graders. Um, but I really enjoy, yeah, that like, uh, bringing information to people. Uh, especially when it's something that I'm very excited about, like food and plants. Um, right. Yeah. Like I, I've always been, um, like a planty person. I have my big collection of house plants here at home. Um, and so when I was working these desk jobs and I was just feeling very claustrophobic and shut in, there wasn't places to go and things to do. Um, the apartment complex that I was living in, um, at the beginning of the pandemic had a community garden space. Um, and I was like, you know, what the heck I'll try it out. I'll grow some tomatoes and sunflowers and have like something to do with myself outside of my house. Um, you know, outside of my desk space where I'm just staring at a laptop all day. Um, and that summer was really important to me to have that kind of, um, that space to be 
with myself and to foster something and see that growth and that change. Um, and I think that it really got me excited about gardening in a way that uh, I hadn't been when I was, you know, a cranky preteen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started looking for opportunities to do some more garden stuff somewhere in D.C., um, the Washington DC metro area has a really fantastic, um, like organic urban gardening community there. Um, there are That's a lot true. of like education opportunities. Um, I started a beginning farmers training program, which is a USDA program that's, um, designed to recruit, I think it's sort of as a younger generation of farmers, people who are yeah. 65 year old white guys who own their family farm. Um, and that was a program that was being offered through uh, Eco City Farms in Bladensburg, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really transformative and exciting um, program to be in because I was with a whole bunch of other people who had either totally similar backgrounds to me. They grew up gardening and then they were detached from it for a while and they're trying to get back. Um, or it was people who farming and agriculture has been a part of their family's history for generations. And they feel like they want to pursue that further, but you know, grandma's knees aren't doing so great anymore. Yeah. Like there was just a lot of really cool, um, diversity of experience and like we were all there for the same reasons which was being really excited about learning how to best grow um like nutritious food that was food that we wanted to eat that we would be proud to serve our families um that we wanted to proliferate and bring to our neighborhoods um and i'm so grateful for the taking that plunge um, I, I left my desk job while I was in that program and I worked as a farmer's market manager, um, and was working to do a lot of like community programs at farmer's markets in DC. Um, DC public schools has a food and nutrition education program, um, that's facilitated by Fresh Farm, the organization that I was working oh, for. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Familiar. Um, so I was working for Fresh Farm as a market manager, but got a chance to kind of poke my head into a lot of different programs that they were doing that summer. Um, and when my farm training and that markets job were both coming to an end this past fall, um, I was kind of like, well, I, I have to go back to Michigan. I need to have a place to live and I would love to see my people again. Um, and I was really thrilled that uh the role that i'm in now was available right as i started looking for a job um <laughs> well that that's a good place to yeah take a pause fortuitous. And say, hey uh so uh, so what is that current position that you're in now in kalamazoo so i work for the kalamazoo nature center um and that is a an organization that's been around since the 1960s. Um, they were one of the first nature centers in Southwest Michigan. Um, they now have both a visitor center that has hiking trails and educational programs about nature and natural systems. Um, they also operate the Delano Farm, which is a historic homestead that is now a regenerative, sustainable, um, community-supported agriculture farm. And um, my program is, uh, I guess, my, my total job title. I am the Fair Food Matters Program Manager. 
Um, but what ultimately that means I do is I run a school garden at a public elementary school in Kalamazoo. Um, it's in a neighborhood and, um, we, we teach students from K through fifth grade about where their food comes from and where their community is bringing food. Um, we talk a lot about both the natural process of like you plant a seed and it grows into a fruit. Um, but also things like, hey, there's people who put the food in the grocery store. And when you go to the grocery store, you're getting food that was harvested by another person. Um, those people live here in town. Those people are here in your neighborhood. Um, I was definitely a kid who kind of was like, oh, well, like food comes from the grocery store uh, <laughs> and didn't really like think further past that because it wasn't milk, really milk introduced comes from the refrigerator. to me. Yeah, you know, I, I remember... Um, really trying to put the pieces together and being like, okay, so eggs come from chickens. So they must have some chickens back in that storeroom, the grocery store. And that's where the chickens lay the eggs. Um, <laughs> and I'm so happy. I mean, it's that, lo that's logical. I mean, it's yeah, kid. like I mean, it, it, it tracks somewhere. Um, but I think that it was really important to me to like meet someone when I was growing up who had backyard chickens and they were like, oh no, the chickens live in our yard. They lay eggs in their coop. Um, and continuing to, you know, meet people. I didn't come from a, a family that has a background in agriculture or in things like hunting. Um, and so I think that a lot of that detachment for me was just, I didn't have that introduction. Um, we were, you know, growing tomatoes in the backyard and I thought that it was silly that we had to do that because we could just go get them from the store. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, man, those backyard tomatoes taste so much better. <laughs> hey, it's it's a, it's all a process. It's all an evolution for sure. Yeah. I, I remember growing up and, and uh, you know, doing gardening with my grandma. And I mean, like the, the it was on one hand, I didn't really like get why we needed to like get them. I'm like I, kind of similarly, like, why can't we just go get the peppers and from the yeah. store? But at the same time, I really enjoyed being outside. So it was yeah. still, like, kind of fun. And I would, like, my big thing was, because she had, like, mint and basil and oregano. And I would yeah. just, like, want to smell them and smush them up. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, you get yeah. those you get those experiences as kids. But, you know, the fact that you're able to do that um, in your job and be yeah. able to to educate them. And I'm curious to know, too. So K to, you said K to 5, mm -hmm. um, you know, is a, a wide age range. How does, yeah. how does the lesson plan change from an age appropriate perspective, um, teaching, you know, a kindergartner versus a fifth grader about the food systems. First, uh, that's just something that I'm very interested in as a person. Um, I, when I was in college, I was very interested in human development and like how children learn. Um, and so I've been very happy to kind of be able to reflect back on some of that education and think about it more strategically and intentionally. Um, I think that for a lot of the concepts and lessons that, um, that we bring the students into the garden to learn, um, there, there are things where you can pretty simply adapt, you know, the, the older kids when they're nine, 10, 11 years old, um, they, they are prepared to think about, the details and they want the vocabulary words and they want to be able to show somebody else what they're doing and how they did it, how they've done it. Um, 
for the younger kids where they're, you know, five, six, seven years old, it's a lot more of an introduction and letting them start to notice what they're curious about. Um, I think that uh, all of the students that I have at Woodward Elementary School ask such amazing questions and it's so fun to hear those questions. I had a first grader um, during Earth Day. Uh, we went and started some seeds with the first grade class. Um, we were going to grow some peas. And so I'm showing them, like, here's how we're going to set it up. And here's how we make the, the growing material. We're going to grow it by putting water on top. It was like a peat that expanded. Um, so we're doing kind of like a magic show style set up where I'm like, ooh, and what's this? And oh, here's the reveal. And I, I finally <laughs> ask, like, do you have questions? Um, and the first graders were definitely learning how to ask questions and what questions are. Because um, there were a few hands that went up and started off with a comment. And their teacher goes, ooh, is that a question? It doesn't start with a question word. Um, and there were a couple of kids where they were like trying to figure out how to ask the question that they wanted to ask. And when this kid finally kind of pieced together, like, here's how I start the question with why does, um, instead of just saying, that's weird. Um, <laughs> he goes, if the plants need light, why do we put it in the dark first? That's, I mean, that's a good question. And I was straight up like, you know what, man? I don't know. I will find out. Um, and ultimately, the answer seems to be, um, that's how it works best. But um, the soil protects that seed. It keeps it moist so that it can start searching for the light. And that's where the shoot knows to grow up out of. Uh -huh. But it was so wonderful to both have a learning experience about something that I had never questioned. I was like, plants need light to grow. That's just something I know from... 20 years ago. And that's yep, just how plants work. Photosynthesis, baby. Photosynthesis. Biology class. Um, but having like a seven-year-old just be like, can you explain that detail one more time? Uh, was so fun. And all of the students were like, oh, well, now I know. That's fun. That's exciting. I get to go home and share that with my brother. And I get to go home and share that with the dog. And I get to go home and share that with grandma. Um, I'm really glad that a lot of that... Uh, reciprocal sharing of knowledge um, is something that I just love receiving and being part of when you're working with a bunch of people who are under the age of 10. Um, and sure. I think that it also, frankly, makes it a better learning environment for them. You're not administering knowledge to them and hoping that they receive it. Um, it's a conversation and it's a facilitated uh, like learning experience. I understand, obviously, you are sort of starting out in this position, but is it a new program um, in general for the school district? So the the Fair Food Matters program um, was started a number of years ago, actually, as an independent nonprofit um, that I believe was supported by the People's Food Co-op of Kalamazoo, um, which is our local food co-op in the Kalamazoo area. And um, that is where the, you know, the funding and the human labor to start this garden at Woodward um, came from. And it operated as its own independent nonprofit for a number of years, and eventually was kind of subsumed by the Nature Center, so that there was more capacity for funding and for staff. Um, 
rather than operating as like a two or like a one and a half person kind of operation. Um, and so I, I'm coming into this role having sort of inherited a program that has a lot of moving pieces and different elements. Um, what I'm starting to do for this coming school year is uh, sort of analyze and synthesize the amount of materials and information and the lessons that we want to teach elementary schoolers in the Kalamazoo public school system um, with the intention of bringing it into other elementary schools. Um, I think that it's a really valuable and exciting program, um, and I'm really excited about making it accessible and applicable and practical for any elementary school to be like, hey, we've got a, an amount of space that we can put yeah. a raised bed in, and now we have the materials, the lessons, the people who will create those experiential learning opportunities for this group of kids. It's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, you you can just tell how passionate you are about this and how, you know, how much you have invested in this and in, you know, educating these kids and giving, you know, other kids the opportunity yeah. to have these kind of learning opportunities and environments and, um, I, you know, really comes through. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wanted, I, I couldn't, not have this conversation and not ask the question because this isn't, you know, a show about yeah. queer, queer farmers in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, you, you are trans. Yes. And, um, you know, given kind of the, the climate, let's say, that we all, I think, are aware of in this country right now around, um, you know, LGBTQ community mm -hmm. and particularly in the school systems um, yeah. and how certain school districts have been non-inclusive, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, I'm not trying to get political yeah. here at all, but I, you know, I, I think that it's an, an important conversation to have. And I'm curious to ask you as a trans person in the school systems, teaching, you know, kids under the age of 10, how do you, you know, how has that been? How has that experience, particularly, you know, we're having these conversations. I wanted to do this mm -hmm. episode because we don't think about, um, you know, the queer community in ag, um, and certainly ag in the Midwest, you know, uh, you know, it is, you know, more like white dude landowners, right? Yeah. So, uh, family farms and that sort of thing. And that's changing. And, you know, you're bringing a different voice and a different aspect of uh, the agricultural community. And so I hope you don't mind me asking the question. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's an important one to ask and, um, of, of what that experience is like, um, you know, being present as a trans person in the schools and in the context of agriculture as well. Yeah, I think that um, first, I, I definitely appreciate that it's a conversation that you're trying to bring to like a greater group of agriculture enthusiasts. Um, because we are kind of in that space of like, okay, well, is the agriculture community just a lot of like older white men who have never really had to think about like how they are perceived in their community or what they're bringing to their communities? Um, whereas I think people of color in agriculture have a much more um, tangible and notable like experience of being a type of person in a type of setting. Um, and mm -hmm. I see that happening within like kind of queer agriculture as well. 
Um, I I think that there's a lot of uh, conversations about like where agriculture workers fit within their communities, especially in the Midwest, since that is something that is um, more present. Like there's just more opportunities to go, oh, that's a field full of corn. People do something there. <laughs> right. um, I wonder who the people are. Um, I think for me personally, um, I I recognize that I have a... Uh, I have a degree of privilege that is also present, despite the fact that I am, you know, a, I'm a transgender person, and also um, I'm white. I have my family's like money and house to live in. Um, I got a college degree from a four-year university. Um, I think that the the presence of queer people in agriculture has always been here. Um, and it's been neat to try to connect more of my personal identities with like where I situate myself in my community, both as an mm -hmm. agriculture worker and as an educator. Um, I, I guess I don't feel threatened. I've not felt unsafe being trans and also being a ag worker or an elementary school teacher. Um, but also I, will always kind of have that little piece in the back of my mind going, is this going to become a concern? Mm -hmm. um, I, I am open about my gender identity as much as I would be otherwise. You know, the, the kids are aware of the fact when they're, I notice that they're asking me, like, are you a boy or a girl? Uh, and I go, oh, I'm a boy. What about you? Are you a boy or a girl? Um, and their response is important to them um, and important to our community conversations about gender, I think. Sure. But also I'm just interested in being a, a happy trans grown-up that happens to be in their neighborhood. Right. I feel like there is often a misconception or an assumption, um, particularly for queer people, particularly for transgender people um, who live in exurban and rural communities, um, mm -hmm. this sort of uh, assumption that we will be lonely and we will be isolated um, and that we're not invited to be in community with other people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's really important for me uh, to really like work through that and think about that. I don't enjoy being alone. I really love being a part of my communities of people, both at the elementary school and in the greater Midwest. Um, I think that it's really significant for regular people to continue engaging with everybody else as though we're regular people. Um, like I don't think of myself as like an othered person. Mm -hmm. um, I, my gender identity is important to me personally because it's something that I found and pursued for myself. And I recognize that that isn't like something that's everybody else's business. Uh, <laughs> so I think that there's a lot of new conversations being had about the presence of queer people in our communities, um, both at like an agricultural level of like within food systems, um, but also just neighborhood by neighborhood.
there's there's queer and trans people in your neighborhood and in your community, and they're part of that community, um, regardless of whether you know that they're trans or you care that they're a lesbian. And the more that I engage with the community that I have here um, as kind of my authentic self, the more I feel like I'm part of it in a way that is much more valuable and meaningful for Mm. me. It's been really nice to kind of return to my hometown as the person that I have always wanted to be. Um, And I get to present myself as the person that I always have been. And transitioning was something that was important for me to do, but also entering agriculture was an important way for me to show up in my community as myself. So it feels very correlated. You can tell it's all authentic. You can tell it's all authentic. (laughs) And that's, uh, that's just, that's just wonderful. Um, And we're so, we're so thankful that you've, you know, taken the time to tell your story and your journey, and as cheesy as it sounds, <laughs> representation does matter. Yeah, we know it's sure. thrown around a lot, but you know, I think that kind of the crux of, of a lot of what you're saying is, you know, you you you're present in your community as your yes. authentic self, and in that, you know, whether it's the the kids that you teach or the com- the greater community at large, mm-hmm. that representation of you being you. Uh, matters and yeah. um, it matters to us and, and our listeners too. So um, thank you so much for being part of our show. Yeah, I'm really thrilled to talk more about this. I'm excited that um, queer people in agriculture are are here, and I'm glad that there's a, there's an effort to uplift this community um, within our greater agriculture community. Absolutely. This probably will this this may be the first, but it's probably not going to be the last conversation we have around this. So thanks so much. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.